Do you want me to start? Yeah, you start. Okay. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. The midterm elections are over and it wasn't quite a red wave. Not at all. We have a lot of news that we're going to unpack this week. Before we get going, we have a special guest this week, Sky. Senator Kirk Devier is here with us, and he's going to be with us throughout the podcast as we break down what happened last night in North Carolina politics. Great to be here, Sky and Brian, and great hat, Brian. (laughs) Brit NC Senate. (laughs) He actually slept in it last night. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about this hat later in the podcast because we spent some time in Robeson County on Election Day. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, so the big news is Ted Budd is our next U.S. senator. Yeah, completely shocking, no one. (laughs) One by four points. The race was called relatively early compared to what I think everyone was bracing for, which was we're going to go deep into the night, maybe even today. But race is over. Congratulations to Congressman Budd, or should I say Senator-elect Budd. Uh, He'll take office in January. When did you think, Senator, that race was going to bud at what point in the cycle well of course i'd hoped it wasn't going to bud um but you could kind of see based on his message was crystal clear he was talking about the economy he was talking about inflation he was talking about taxes and if you had knocked any doors this session that's what people were talking about they were talking about what was affecting their pocketbook Mm -hmm. Um, and he was crystal clear on that and you know while Sherry Beasley talked that uh, some as well, but she was also talking about women's reproductive rights and a lot of the the bigger Democratic issues. And uh, you could just see that Ted Budd was just resonating. You could see that probably starting from the debate and kind of moving forward is when you started to see the separation. Even last night as election results were rolling in, there was a crowd of people here and there were folks asking, would this have been different if there was a different Democratic candidate? Do you think that she was a good candidate and a good fit for this cycle? I don't think you can go back and sideline quarterback the night of the election. I think she was the candidate that uh, we chose, and and she was the right candidate for the moment. So many things could have played into it. You know, you can look back at the last Senate race, and everybody said, this is the right candidate, and then you had an October surprise, uh, so to speak. So many different things could happen. We were where we were. I think the moment, who would have predicted that Roe would have happened the way that it happened? I think that tightened up a lot of races, especially in certain areas of the state. There's so many things that play into it. She was our candidate, and she worked hard. She she actually did things differently than previous candidates. She got out in the rural areas, and she went places that Democrats normally didn't go. And I think that helped her in the end. Senator-elect Bud brought Trump into the state, fully embraced him. Trump endorsed him. It was noticeable that Sherry Beasley did not have President Obama in the state, President Biden, Vice President Harris— would you have advised her to maybe lean into Obama, Biden, Harris? I'm definitely not a consultant, so I, I don't know if I'd advise her in that way. I think the interesting point of this race, take away the Biden and the Trump, I mean, you look at the debate and they were kind of labeling each other that. Um, you look at the money and the lack of money. 
I mean, they reported uh, the the evening of the election, right after the election results. I think Beasley team, team talked about a shortage of over forty two million dollars mm-hmm. of uh, of spending. I mean, that's just. I mean, at that level, you have to have that national buy in. And at some point, somebody made a decision not to invest additional dollars in North Carolina, uh, that it wasn't going to be a pickup. And I think that hurt her. I mean, mm-hmm. because you can't run that level of a race across the state and being outspent at that level. And I think that hurt her, coupled with, you know, did we really get deep into the field in the way that we needed to uh, across the state with the Beasley campaign? So let's turn to the congressional campaigns. Everyone was watching the 13th district, and it turned out to not be that close either. Senator Wiley Nickel, he beat Bo Hines. Decisively. Decisively. I thought that that race would go way deep into the night. And I was kind of thinking Bo Hines was going to have the edge, but Nickel pulled it out. What did you think? You got to give it to Wiley. I mean, he stuck in there and he stuck to a message that he thought that resonated with the people that he was talking to, you know, had Bo out there, Bo Hines is more of an extreme than potentially uh, than some people maybe were comfortable with. And I think it, you know, caused some separation. And, and I will say again, another way to look at it is there was an investment made. So you had, you know, at the national level, they made some significant investments in that race and they saw an opportunity to get seven, seven split in the congressional side, Republican, Democrat, and they made that investment and it was well needed. And it also shows that a moderate can win. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. In a general. All right, yeah, that's totally tongue-in-cheek there. Everyone who's worked with Senator Nickel in General Assembly knows that he is not a moderate, but he certainly campaigned as one. He had good ads, too. Definitely spoke to the middle. I think people liked those. I think he spoke to what people were concerned about. I mean, he was speaking right to them, but he also... He also balanced that piece of Bo Hines was too extreme for North Carolina, for the area that he was trying to represent. And, you know, did that peel off a few people? You know, maybe, Uh, you know, he talked about women's reproductive rights. He talked about some kind of fringe, you know, fringe issue, fringe conversations as well. So I think that peeled off some people as well. Once the race is certified, I really want to look at those precincts. That's going to be very interesting. (laughs) Did that I best. think I think dissecting Wake County in general is yeah, going to yeah. be very interesting. Yeah, but you drive through Harnett County to get home from yeah. Raleigh. I mean, Harnett County is red, and you know I want to see how his message did. Folks vote for him in Harnett County. I'm sure they did, but what what are the percentages? It would be an interesting one to dissect. I think there's going to be several areas across the state once you kind of dig into them, and you know there's a lot of conversations around rural and what happened versus suburban and what messages and where they fell. And I think Wake and Charlotte are going to be, especially the burbs around there, are going to be interested in to to see how all the numbers fall out. The only other congressional race that maybe folks were taking a look at, in the final days, there was a lot of discussion about whether the Don Davis, Sandy Smith, and that's the first congressional district, was going to be close and maybe go to Sandy Smith. But Don Davis ended up pulling that out. Do y'all have any thoughts on that? Not surprised. It just felt like Davis was running that textbook campaign. And actually, you know, this senator is a moderate in the Senate, but uh, no surprises there. The Republican Party, to kind of flip the script a little bit, they did not really support Sandy Smith, Mm -hmm. kind of left her out there. Would have been an interesting race had they invested in her. Maybe you could have gotten a tighter result, so maybe even a victory. I don't know, but she definitely was banked 
banking on a red wave. You know, I think that's an example of where that district really fits the candidate. And mm-hmm. Don Davis fits that. He, he is Eastern North Carolina. He speaks it. It's who he is. He's comfortable uh, no matter where he goes. Uh, you know, he had a tough fought primary. Mm-hmm. Um, he came through it. He was who he was in the primary. He was who he was in the general. And I think that showed in the end. I don't think, I mean, I never thought that one was even going to be close or even in any jeopardy. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. So there has been a lot of discussion amongst other political podcasts. We've talked about it. The Supreme Court races were really important this year. And that is because currently our Supreme Court is a 4-3 Democratic majority, and there were two seats up for re-election, and both are going to be held by Republicans. Less than a week after we got a landmark decision from the North Carolina Supreme Court regarding the Leandro decision, this election where Richard Dietz and Trey Allen, they're going to be the new Supreme Court justices, I imagine school districts should not... Uh, budget in that Leandro money at this point. We're going to see some maneuvering, but Lucy Inman, she was defeated by Richard Dietz, and Sam Irvin, uh, he was defeated by Trey Allen. This is a monumental shift for state politics, and I think we will see the effect of Tuesday's election down the road. Something that I saw when I was watching TV talking about this election in particular is folks saying that Sam Irvin had the name, the presence because of his family. But I was thinking about that coupled with all of the people that have moved into North Carolina. I don't think that your name maybe carries as much weight as it did 20 years ago. And I think there was a very organized effort uh, on the Republican Party to, you know, to kind of drive the courts because it wasn't just the Supreme Court. It was the courts across the board, even at the local district and superior court level. And so I think there was a a very conscious effort uh, where maybe not on the Democratic side, you saw, you know, the campaigns trying to work together and there was some coordination uh, between the Irvin and and Lucy campaign, Lucy Inman campaign. But it it was uh, it was very obvious that there was a, a focused effort to to you know win the court um, because that's a it's an active piece of uh, you know this three part system of government now and it's a everything if you look over the last ten years you know everything's been litigated and so either the appellate court or in the supreme court so it's I think that was a very strategic move uh, and I think I don't think we're going to see it in the future I think we're going to see the effects very quickly. So this is the first election in at least recent history in which we have partisan Supreme Court races. Are Democrats ever going to be able to get over this hump when it comes to electing judges? My crystal ball is a little foggy right now mm-hmm. uh, on what that will look like over the next several years. I, I think Democrats in general have a challenge over the next you know, four to six years in legislative, judicial, or, you know, executive branch as well. We spoke earlier about the congressional races. I think that'll be something we see the impact of the Supreme Court on those congressional races in the next year. 
we expect that the General Assembly will redraw those congressional maps, and we expect that those will be challenged in court. For talking partisanship, I think uh, the idea is likely they will side with the General Assembly. I talked to a senator this morning. He's expecting maps that produce a 10-4 split on the chopping block would be Jeff Jackson down in Wiley Nickel. Wiley Nickel. They probably shouldn't get long-term leases in D.C. I think another factor that could play into the Supreme Court is, you know, you've heard rumblings, you know, will the Senate and House maps be redrawn, where there'll be a, an action that causes that through the courts uh, in some way. I've heard different scenarios potentially around that as well. I think it definitely happens. <laughs> We'll see. We'll be watching it. Let's turn to our bread and butter, the North Carolina General Assembly. So I'll ask each of y'all, what was a race that surprised you in the election? Brian Lewis? I thought Terrence Everett was cooked here in Wake County, up in the Wake Forest area. This is seat used to be held by Chris Malone. He defeated him a few cycles back. But to see Terrence Everett hold on in the House, I was surprised by that. And he seemed to do it pretty comfortably. And I know it was one of the many swing races that probably caught you guys by surprise as well. Yeah, it, it, that was, I thought that was going to be a little bit closer. I know there's a lot of concern around that race, uh, you know, leading up to the election. I have to tell you, though, you know, seeing Representative Farkas, Brian Farkas, uh, you know, lose uh, in that competitive race was, was surprising. I knew it was going to be competitive for him, you know, as a first-term, you know, representative. He, he did a great job representing his district and, and doing what he needed to do, uh, you know, especially in a general election. I got also put in there Howard Hunter up in the northeastern part of North Carolina. I remember starting my career, his dad, Howard Hunter, was a representative. He died. His son uh, eventually gets that seat. I know he had a new county that was added to his district, but it's just hard to believe that he went down. You know, it's hard to beat an incumbent in a general election, but uh, Hunter goes down. I think in in the seats that we've talked about, you know, the Everett, the Hunter, and the Farkas seats, I think that's going to, once those numbers come out and you begin to look at them, that suburban, rural, where you saw the rural, you know, was able to kind of move to the Republican side and the suburban, the Democrats were able to hold on to some of those, a, a few of those seats like a Terrence Everett that people thought was going to be in jeopardy and he was able to pull through. What about you, Sky? I will say that Representative Robert Reeves, we had heard a lot of talk about that being a really close race and it got kind of ugly we thought maybe that would be tight and he won pretty comfortably he won by about 4000 votes so it wasn't a super tight race in the end this weekend i saw governor cooper was campaigning in nash county his home county he's mm -hmm. carried nash county it used to be a democratic stronghold it's certainly like a lot of eastern north carolina going republican more and more every cycle it was surprising that Republican Alan Chesser did defeat Democrat James Galliard. And then, you know, of course, around there, we're looking at Ken Fontenot. He beat Representative Linda Cooper Suggs. She's a Democrat. But again, think about the areas and think about what those areas look like. Rural, suburban, what issues are, are really resonating with those voters, the economy, taxes, crime. I mean, those are the kind of things that were resonating in some of those areas, especially the economy and inflation. Because of all of that, are you surprised that there weren't more Republican pickups? No, because when you look at, you know, where the Republicans were fighting the Democrats in some of these suburban areas, I think the road decision helped 
in any of those competitive races, you've got the unaffiliated, you know, voter. And so you, you have to figure out, you know, who, what's moving them. And I think that, you know, potentially, I think the road decision had some of that. I think it excited, uh, you know, and drive some people to make some decisions that they trusted the Democrats more on, on those types of issues. So they were going to break that way. Um, maybe, you know, it wasn't inflation and, and, and Roe kind of buoyed uh, at, at the top for them. Uh, and they broke Democrat. And I think you, you kind of saw some of those lines around geographics um, more than the, the, the Republicans had to fight in these competitive seats in a suburban district, like we saw on the Senate side with Sidney Batch and Mary Wills Bodie. Before we get to the Senate, <laughs> I want to point out that Representative Ted Davis, he was in a dogfight down in New Hanover County, definitely what we would consider it an urban county, Wilmington being the anchor there, but he holds on. And, and I want to point this out, 71 Republicans in the House, that's one representative on the Democratic side that is keeping supermajorities from happening. A lot of pressure now is going to be on some of the swing moderate Democrats in the House. Not very many of them, but we could list Michael Ray, Garland Pierce. Someone even mentioned this morning to me, Shelley Willingham. I think a lot of folks are going to expect them to make deals with Republicans, especially on the budget. But I mean, the speaker said today he yeah. has a working supermajority. Yeah. I think that's the way it's going to be described. It's, it's going to be described as a working supermajority. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, if you look at the history, you know, most of the people you just named have been in the legislature for a while. And you look at, you know, some of the issues that have been brought forward. You, you heard Speaker Moore and, and uh, Senator Berger talk about kind of where they thought next, next year would go and the types of things. Those were issues that, you know, a lot of these folks sided with the Republicans on. You know, I think it's going to be interesting. I think they have a working majority, a, a super majority, depending on, you know, what the issue is. I did see a tweet earlier today that said five of the six Democrats who lost voted for the budget. That's right. I mean, Governor Cooper has certainly got to be making phone calls today. We don't know what he's doing, but I imagine that he is trying to corral Democrats to stick together, give him that leverage. How do you think this plays out? I don't know that he has the leverage that he had in the previous mm-hmm. session. You know, especially when you look at the Senate is in the supermajority, the House is basically on paper, super, you know, a supermajority. I don't know the same types of leverage that he had. He, he will have, depending on the issue. When you look at, you know, budgets and things like that, I think it's going to, there are only maybe a few issues that you really have that he'll really be able to have leverage on in some ways. Well, I think to your point, Senator, playing into that calculus a little bit, it appears to us that the governor did not really plan a flag over on the House side, seemed to put just about everything into the Senate races. Of course, he did go to Nash County and campaign. We saw him do some fundraisers here and there for House members. But we talked about this with Nathan and Morgan when they were on the podcast, right. and Nathan even mentioned the governor wasn't cutting ads for house members they weren't pouring the resources into the house that they were in the senate because they thought that's where the fight was Mm -hmm. and it did not appear to pay off for them in the house either i don't think they spent at the levels and i haven't looked at it but i don't think they spent at the levels uh, that they did on the senate side where on the house side you know i think it was uh, there was a lot more races. I think a lot of people, the perception after the redistricting is that they were safer. There were some deals that were cut mm-hmm. to ensure that, you know, there wasn't going to be a supermajority uh, on the on the House side. So I think that uh, I think there was a sense of maybe we're safe over here. And I think the environment 
shifted a little bit and I don't know they made the types of investments they need to make to to secure some of these seats that were lost. It's going to be hard, I believe, for the Democrats to go to Michael Ray and uh, or the governor, for that matter, to go to Michael Ray and say, hey, you got to toe the line. He's paid his own way. In fact, I had heard he had given $50,000 to try to help Howard Hunter out there best buddies down at the General Assembly. I'm sure he's very sorry to see his buddy go. Yeah, I think we'll see some fireworks over on the House side going into next session. Mm -hmm. So let's transition to the Senate. 30 seats in the Senate. That is a super majority. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael Lee, I think that was ground zero there. Michael Lee held back Marsha Morgan down in New Hanover County. So we saw those early vote numbers come in, and he was just barely down from early votes, and that's when we knew it was going for him. I had seen Senator Lee a couple weeks ago down in New Hanover County. He was feeling pretty good. He thought that Democratic votes at that point, I think we had been early voting for about a week, and he said at that time only 800 more Democrats had voted than Republicans. Of course, a lot of unaffiliateds down there, but... He was feeling good. Just seems like Democrats did not come out to the polls. Gave him a pretty easy victory, all said and done. I always told people when people asked me about that race, I just thought, you know, Senator Lee was going to be secure down there. They were not going to, the Democrats were not going to be able to take him out. He, like I talked about uh, earlier with Don Davis, he just, he fits that area. He, you know, with unaffiliated voters, he does well. Um, You know, he's got a good base. He probably has some crossover with Democrats. I think when he lost in 2018 against Harper Peterson, there was a libertarian in the race. So that probably siphoned off some of those, you know, Republican conservative votes. And I think, you know, he was I think he was secure along the way. I think there was a lot of money invested down there. Um, You know, the, the governor was on the air. Um, running ads against them. You know, I I think Senator Lee uh, responded, uh, but there was a lot of money spent down uh, New Hanover. And you can look at some of the house races down there. And I think the money and the turnout that was driven off of the Senator Lee race uh, probably affected some of the house races as well. I noticed when I was down there, there was a coordinated campaign. So the ads you saw on TV, they were bundling together, Republicans were, bundling together the Democratic candidates, so Marsha Morgan, DeLoach, Deb Butler was in there. The ads were just targeting all of them. It was really well done. I think it was a good way to stretch resources. Just well, it's a cheap media market down there. Yeah, yeah. But an expensive race. It's an expensive race. <laughs> I mean, they started early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They started early there. Bobby Hannig, though, we had been hearing some rumors that Democrats were pulling out. Apparently that was not true, but it does appear that northeastern North Carolina, the old Mark Baznight district, I might add, has gone Republican, talked to some Democrats. They just said it's going to be a tough area to win in the future. He won by five points. So again, it wasn't as tight as maybe folks were making that race out to be. Early in the night, it was going a little back and forth. We weren't sure how that was going to go, but ended up winning by a comfortable margin. Valerie Jordan was the Democrat in that race. Do you think it played a part, Senator, in the whole, does she live in the district? Do you think that was enough, or is it just a red area now and and handed Cruz to victory? I wouldn't say... he just cruised to victory. I think a lot of things played into it. I think they started very early on defining who she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've gone to that area, you've been up to that area, you know. I mean, people are neighborly. They know each other. They want to know each other. And they painted her as an outsider. 
and Hanning comes across as an, you know, he's one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the trend in that area is it's moving more conservative, it's moving more Republican to those messages. And so I think that was always a seat that was going to fall. Um, when we, cause we, I, we always kind of say there's 21 seats, uh, based on the redistricting and that was a seat that potentially would fall. And then where could you make up a seat? Where could you go on the offensive? And could you pick up a Michael Lee seat or another seat? In Wake County, the two races that we were all watching pretty closely were the Sydney Batch race and then the open seat between Mary Wills Bodie and E.C. Sykes. Both the Democrats prevailed here in Wake County. Pretty decisive. Getting some early vote returns in last night, and I texted some Republicans who were working on the campaign, and uh, they certainly thought that the early vote showed that they were not going to have a good night here in Wake County. I know you were very active in helping Senator Batch on the ground. You surprised by the results? I wasn't surprised too much uh, by the results. Um, I mean, probably not as close as I thought it was going to be. And in both of those races, once again, you had a libertarian in each race. And so that siphons off some of those Republican votes or those conservative votes. I thought Sydney was Sydney batch was going to be probably a little closer than it was an amazing ground game. I can't speak to what they were doing on the other side, uh, you know, of the aisle, so to speak. Um, But, you know, Sydney had a lot of people out, uh, neighbors on call and just a lot of different groups out canvassing and in the field. Um, I got the opportunity to talk to some of the voters there and it was on the ground a few times and knocking doors and you could just tell the issues that she was talking about resonated and I got to give it to Sydney. You know, when they pushed on her a couple of times about, uh, you know, some things she pushed back, mm-hmm. um, and very boldly, I mean, she called her opponent a liar, uh, and kind of spoke to it and, sp- you know, spoke about, uh, you know, guns and gun ownership and, and those types of things and police with the PBA endorsement. I thought it was an interesting race. I really thought it was going to be tighter. I was there on election day too and worked a poll. I was in a pretty good precinct and it was a split vote that day. Okay. I mean, it was, it was interesting. So talking about Southwestern Wake County, well, I always find it interesting when someone like a representative, Aaron Pere, who's in that Senate district, she wins decisively and Senator Batch wins pretty good on the Senate side. I have to assume that unaffiliated voters are splitting their ticket. They're voting for both Parade and Batch. What is that? You think that's true? I, you know, I don't. I don't know that district well enough. I I know that you know the the new Sydney Batch district is uh, you know it's made up of different pockets of groups. So. You know, Representative Paré could be in one of those a little bit stronger, right-leaning kind of districts. But that district is, again, one of those more suburban districts that I think that, you know, we saw abortion play a bigger role. Mm -hmm. I think that activated probably some of those unaffiliated voters. There's no doubt in every one of these competitive races that the unaffiliated voter was the one that was, you know, creating the outcome. Um, and so the things that were important to them and in, in this area, maybe it was more about, you know, protecting, protecting that woman's right to choose, or, or maybe it was, you know, something else that stood out about Sydney being a, a female that represented them. Kind of going off of that, we saw a lot of issue polls leading up to the election and we saw that crime was going to be playing really well, but you talked about Senator Batch's race and the public safety aspect of it. Do you think that crime was playing in these districts? I definitely think it was playing in the suburban districts. I mean, I heard it locally in Cumberland County when I was knocking doors and I heard it both in 
Mary Wills Bodie's district and in Sydney Batch's district when I was knocking doors. I think where Sydney counteracted is this whole not supporting the police. And she was able to stand there with the police and say, look, I do support. I do. You know, she was able to kind of push back on that narrative. And mm-hmm. I think uh, sometimes not everybody could do that. But I think it played in a lot of these districts, crime, inflation and abortion. So Mary Wills Bodie up in the northern part of Wake County goes into Granville County. Right. Notice she lost Granville County. She wins enough in Wake. Now she kept it close in Granville, and, and I guess that's the strategy, right? That's Keep right. it as close as you can in that rural county or more rural county, and then just try to run up the score in the urban. And you got to look at where she's from and where her roots are, and she has roots up in that you know, Granville area. And, and, you know, she spent a lot of time and did a lot of work up there to try to keep it close uh, and then get that big turnout down in Wake County. I think it was a wider margin than some people thought it was going to be going into it. Um, probably some early concerns on it. She's a, she's a hardworking campaigner, um, both from raising money to on the ground. Uh, she was, uh, she was definitely worked hard and I can't speak to what the other side was doing, but I can speak to what she was doing. The last district that we were watching in the Senate was your district. Talk to us about the issues that were playing there and how much money went into that race, because we talked about that a lot leading up to Election Day. Yeah, there was a lot of money that, that poured into that race uh, on both sides. Senator, former Senator Meredith had money coming in uh, from the Republicans. And, of course, uh, Val Applewhite had money coming in uh, from the Democratic side as well. I mean, probably at the end of the day, he was outspent, which is probably a side that he had not been in before. Uh, and both times that we had run against each other, he had, uh, I mean, we pretty much matched each other from a communication standpoint. And so I think that hurt him a little bit. Val Applewhite was in a a more leaning Democratic district uh, than the two that I had previously run in. Um, and so that put, you know, Meredith at a, a disadvantage. But he has a good name ID, uh, you know, across that community. And again, Cumberland is different. Uh, the unaffiliated voter plays a role. Um, you know, we have kind of dynamics with Fayetteville and then what we call east of the river of Cape Fear, uh, the Cape Fear River. Uh, where it turns out more Republican. Um, and so there's a distinct way you kind of have to campaign down there. And I think, you know, the the mass communication that the Applewhite campaign did, I mean, this was a leaning Democrat district. It was, as I've heard before, it was hers to lose. Um, I saw it that way as well. Um, you could kind of feel during early vote and kind of leading up to it, uh, just based on the communication that you could see that, you know, Applewhite was probably going to win that race, even though Meredith had represented portions of that district, if not all of that district for many years, for over eight years, and had spent a lot of money campaigning there uh, for name ID. So there's no doubt people knew who both of them were, very different candidates. Um, But at the end of the day, um, you know, Val was able to put together the coalition she needed to win uh, and, you know, and do it by about 3,000 votes, you know, probably within that D plus six, I think is what the district was. So, you know, she is uh, she was able to retain that seat for Democrats, which I know was important for the Senate caucus. And the subplot to all of this, though, is that cost upwards of two million dollars to win both that primary and that general election. Then take some of the losses that you saw on the House side. Brian Farkas, yep. uh, Ricky Hurtado and Alamance County lost by 600 votes. Farkas is 400. You would have to think, and I've heard this from Democrats, that because of the primary, and you were targeted in that primary by Governor Cooper, that could have been resources spent on the House side to maybe give them a better cushion 
in keeping supermajorities away. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely, I mean, it's, it's use of resources, and there's only so many resources that go around. And then you also have to, it's not just the money that was spent, but then you also have to look at what I raised and spent. And that could have been, you know, that could have gone into my caucus mm-hmm. um, and helped other folks. And then other additional money from the party could have gone to the House side, and we could have ensured we shored up the House side. You know, you can sit in sideline quarterback a lot, but the money drives a lot of this, especially early money where you can begin to define that candidate. Could we have early money on Valerie Jordan been able to shore up that seat a little bit more? Or when you look at some of the house races, you know, who's making those decisions and who's moving the money on the board that, you know, those are things that people are going to have to reflect on uh, once all the dust settles and, and the data comes out on how everything comes. I mean, speaking of the dust settling, I think, I mean, these questions are being asked this just this afternoon got a tweet out of representative brian farkas as a legislative assistant it was it's a valid question graham strickland who is representative farkas's la said would have been nice to have more funding for nc house races instead of throwing money into a pointless primary next tweet this is a threat there's only three okay next tweet says winning 400 votes for an extra seat and then the less than sign ideological purity last tweet also, LOL, Medicaid expansion. Peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I sent some anger in that tweet. I mean, <laughs> that begs the question, too, that you're losing all of the moderates. And what does that look like for the future of both parties and for the General Assembly itself? I'm going to say this. A couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with a Democrat. And he said, you know what? We need to go out and recruit candidates on the Democratic side that are small business owners, that are veterans, that public safety. And I said, I think you just described Kirk Devier. (laughs) (laughs) Which you recruited. (laughs) Point taken, he said. Uh, But, you know, is the Democratic Party just running out the moderates out of the party? And I said this to somebody else. I mean, I think it's important that both sides have moderates. Yeah. I think it's, it's important that both sides allow candidates or allow their elected officials or their members to be able to, you know, spread their wings a little bit and do, you know, there, there's a time where you've got to push back on either side, depending on what the legislation is and what you stand for. Uh, but then there's times that you've got to let somebody just be who they are. Um, you know, those are, I mean, I had that conversation with governor Cooper early on. I mean, that was something that we talked about is, Governor, remember how you were when you were a state senator and representative. You know, I need to be able to be responsive to my community. And as moderate Democrats or moderate Republicans, you have to allow, the leadership has to allow people to be able to be responsive to their, you know, to the people that they represent. Or, or you're just going to have two extremes in the bodies. And that does not make good government at all. So with the Senate having... A 30-20 Republican supermajority. How do you think the Democrats should approach the next session? I think it's important that the the Democratic leadership, um, you know, continues to engage with the Republicans and and tries to be, you know, have those conversations to find any kind of bipartisan uh, work that they can do. I think when you look at the next session, which I think would be, you know, uh, interested in y'all's thoughts, we heard Senator Berger and, and Speaker Moore talk a little bit about it today. You know, there's going to be legislation around a lot of the things that we didn't see, CRT, education, parents' bill of rights. 
You know, there's going to be some gun legislation moving through. You're going to see something on abortion. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen with taxes? I think that the Democrats are going to have to figure out where they want to be on that, where they believe a win can be for them in the legislature, and then begin to work towards those. Know that you're not going to be able to win everything. We have to have compromise when you've got a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature. It's a little bit different now, so I think the Democrats have to, in the leadership and the caucuses, have to determine where they want to be on those issues that they know are going to come forward, you know the ones that are going to be, and where they believe they can move it closer to what they believe in. I think that'll be a challenge, and I think it's going to take people having conversations you know, with the Republicans to actually find those positions and be able to get to those positions. It's going to be difficult. I mean, you take any of those, those issues that you just listed— and you're the Democrats out there. And we know Republicans would like to have bipartisan votes. They, they, that's something they usually try to get, at least a couple Democrats. The big question is, do Democrats make a deal on abortion legislation? 15 weeks, 20 weeks. Do you say, okay, we're, we're not for 15, but if you move it to 17 weeks, then maybe we can vote for the bill. Or if you put in these loopholes or you put in these exceptions rape incest uh, the life of the mother but that is so hard right with the interest group saying don't give up any territory Uh, again i think the the democrats are going to have to determine do they want to to work and try to make the legislation that's brought forward better Mm -hmm. and meet their values or do they want to say no to everything and just kind of stand on the line and use that as a catalyst for the next election. Um, I mean, you're going to see election law reform. I mean, you look at some of the things that we went through over the last session, and I think there's, there's opportunity to have those conversations and to make legislation because if it is veto proof uh, and they have a, you know, a paper majority, super majority in the house, and they're going to pass this legislation, I think the Democrats, you know, the leadership has to determine how can we make this better and where are our points that we can really work towards, knowing we may not vote for it in the end and we may not all agree with it, but we can make it just a little bit better. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Tweet of the week. Okay, so it was tough for me to find a tweet of the week that was funny. So we're not going that route this week. Sorry, everyone. But the tweet and the storyline that continues to develop is from Border Belt Independent. They're at Belt Border. And the tweet is that Jody Green won 54% of the vote in Columbus County, according to results. Now, this is the sheriff who was ousted in columbus county and brian has spent a lot of time on the internet reading about it oh man jody green caught on audio he was in a phone conversation referring to black deputies at the columbus county sheriff's department with it was rude and crass and we won't really say what it was but a lot of allegations of extramarital affairs kicking out windows and all of this seedy stuff so a couple weeks ago he's going to trial and he just resigns 
Well, they took a break in the courtroom. Yeah. And he resigned right before the case was about to move forward. But he said, I'm on the ballot and I want you to vote for me. And the DA said, look, if you vote for him, you can do that. But I'm bringing these charges back. And he won on Tuesday night. Wild. Crazy. So the prosecutor down in that area, the district attorney, said that if he was to make an arrest, they can't use his testimony if he ever does make an arrest because of what he said about black people. It's, it's Honestly, just, this feels like its own podcast, like one of those episodes. Oh, we got to do like, Someone needs to do a podcast. Yeah. I have a feeling Jody Green will have a podcast before it's all said and done. <laughs> The guy. So, yeah, it's down in Columbus County. It's up near that South Carolina border going into New Hanover County. One senator who used to represent Columbus County. Oh, here we go. <laughs> is Senator Danny Earl Britt. And now he no longer has Columbus County. We talked to him about this on Tuesday. Senator Sky and I decided that we were going to go on an adventure on Election Day, and that is... We wanted to see Senator Danny Britt in his element working the polls down in Robeson County. So no, we, that's not exactly what we were going for. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going just to see him in the wild. All right. Well, we did. We volunteered to work a poll for him. Down in Robeson County. Mm. And it was an adventure. It was an adventure. First of all, we were not needed. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we drive through your county and you didn't stop we well, tried to call you to pick you, you up so you didn't stop so we were you know we should say this we were going down at the primary to work a poll for senator devier and we got a flat tire that's how we ended that's because up in, of your reckless driving yeah that's how we ended up in harnett county you can go yeah. listen to that podcast yeah uh, people said it was terrible. so i can blame my loss on y'all yeah yeah, yeah. you can't i'm sorry yeah. we, we probably would have yeah yeah uh senator jim perry loves that story of us stopping in harnett county <laughs> we're, we'll retell it one day senator perry so yeah we go down to robson county and you know he had put on instagram Needed poll workers. So he put us down. You've been down to the armory, National Guard armory mm, down there? Maybe once. All right. So we're working the polls. There are approximately 300 people there working for Danny Britt. <laughs> Danny Earl. <laughs> Danny Earl Britt. <laughs> so we get in this 1979 Jeep to go to lunch with Senator Britt and his wife, Jill. And I said, I turned to him and I said, you didn't need us at this poll. And he said... I know, right? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. We're working the poll. I say work. I'm putting air quotes because it was even the Democrats who were working for their various candidates out there. <laughs> they were even saying, yeah, Danny Earl Britt, that's our guy. We love that guy. Those, those palm cards you got, that's money right there. They love this guy down there. It was amazing. It was something. So we get in this 1979 Jeep. We need to point out that uh, I'm trying to talk to Jill in the back. We're, we're sitting in the back. Yeah, you seat. guys are yelling. We're yelling because Senator Britt is just <laughs> blasting his music out of this 1979 Jeep. which Wrapped with a North Carolina state flag. Wrapped in a flag. Danny Earl Britt for Senate country music. I mean, we go from country music to Dr. Dre, right? <laughs> Going to St. Paul's, North Carolina to pick up cheeseburgers in this great restaurant. What was it called? 
Ferguson's. You've been to Ferguson's? Ferguson's, of course. You, man, that was that was an adventure in and of itself, too. <laughs> but I get every fourth word that Jill's telling me. We're talking about her job. She's a teacher down there, and she's great. Had a great time. We pick up lunch. I don't think she's still a teacher. Is she? She's a reading specialist oh, okay. down in Robson County. We pick up lunch. I need to use the bathroom. And we're going to get to the story about the pole station not letting us use the bathroom. Because that <laughs> was that's a good story. So, so I've been holding it for a couple hours. And we get to this restaurant. Uh, Ferguson has a big sign that says restroom. Now you open up that door to go to the restroom. You're outside. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying yes like you knew that already. <laughs> you walk outside and you're like, where's the restroom? Then you see another sign, restroom. You go in and it's like, yeah, you have to walk outside. It, it was just a special place. Cheeseburgers, French fries. We, uh, there was a nice lady, Sharon, who insisted that we drink the sweet tea. That was good. Her name was not Sharon. Her name was Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, who insisted we and Ka- then Brian stole Kathy's burger. Yes. Let's talk about how Raleigh comes and takes everything it, from them. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> and Danny Britt brings it all back. <laughs> Dan- <laughs> yeah, so he's in there hugging everybody. <laughs> like, I mean, people, hey, Danny. And he's, you know, they're all, by the way, at this restaurant. <laughs> it's as if he told everyone, I'm bringing friends from Raleigh. Everyone wear my T-shirt. <laughs> Everyone in St. Paul's had, I mean, people walking down the road had a Danny Britt shirt on. He's yelling out the way, hey, Gus, how's your mom? Amazing politician, right? He is well-loved in that area. There's no (laughs) doubt about that. There's no doubt. So after lunch, we're back at our precinct that we're working at. And Brian had gone to the bathroom a couple of times. First of all, this man uses the bathroom a lot. Yeah, I drink a lot of water. You weren't drinking water, though. I I think it's just your prostate problem. (laughs) I used the bathroom once. The second time I was turned away because this really rude election official there said no public use of the bathroom. Now, I had taken off my Danny Earl Brett hat. I'd covered up my shirt. I just needed Did to you use take the off your, were you covering your Danny Earl Brett tattoo or was that <laughs> exposed? All right. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, about two o'clock, this woman comes out. She's a campaign official. Hey, everybody. Everybody, listen, come here. So we all turn. All 300 Danny Earl Britt volunteers <laughs> turn around and face her. And she, make, <laughs> she makes the announcement that we cannot use the bathroom because we might electioneer if we do use the bathroom in the bathroom or while people are in line. And so chaos chaos ensued <laughs> among the 300 Danny Earl Britt volunteers at the armory. <laughs> To which one man, his name is Dwayne. Dwayne. <laughs> He's on the school board. I should tell you that when Dwayne showed up, Tom said to me, Dwayne is wild. Dwayne is wild. Yeah, Dwayne told the election. <laughs> Dwayne told the election worker, I'm not the one to mess with. <laughs> if I want to go butt naked in there and use the bathroom, I will. All right. But he said he had a plan. (laughs) He got on the phone. He got on the phone. And then about 15 minutes later, he returned with a porta potty (laughs) in the back of a pickup truck. And they placed the porta potty on the line 
because there's this chalk line, so you can't go past <laughs> this point. He put the porta potty right there as sponsored by the Danny Earl Britt Senate campaign, and all 300 volunteers got to use the bathroom, <laughs> as well as people coming to vote if they wanted to. And and I'll say this, Senator Britt's campaign also let the other campaigns use the bathroom, because there was a lot of need out there. We were, you know, eating food, drinking, and drinking water, that is, and we needed to use the bathroom. But it was so much fun. Yeah, just a series of wild events. I want to put a challenge out there. If you want to see... Some good politicking. Spend a day with Senator Britt in Robeson County. You should see this man work in his district. It is a master class of how to do retail politics. You spent much time with him out in Robeson County? No. <laughs> You're not as big a fan as Sky is? Me? <laughs> All right, we had fun. Of course, Senator Britt cruised to victory in his district reelected again it's you know it's expected he's going to win but that is a democratic area of the state they are trending republican in performance but just have to give it to the guy it was fun i think you could do that with senator woodard too going to durham he's mr retail he's walking around shaking people's hands there in poll you know in line getting ready to go vote going for polling site i would love to hang out with senator woodard i love politicians that just really know their district. So yeah, Senator Woodard, invite us to your district. We want to see you press the flesh. Well, I miss Dwayne and Tom and <laughs> Trey, all the good people we met. Jill, oh, Jill. Kathy. Jill's great. Kathy's great. I yeah. mean, those good folks down in Robinson County. Appreciate the hospitality. They we were had, nice to us. So nice. We had so much fun. And uh, thank you, Senator Britt, for hosting us and also <laughs> letting us tell this story on the podcast because we did ask for permission. Yeah. Well, we had a great time talking about the election with you, Senator Devier. So thank you for coming on the podcast again, a recurring guest. Great to be here. It was a lot of fun. Uh, learned a lot. And uh, I'm going to try to take Danny Britt's hat home with me. <laughs> it's my hat. If y'all have any data points you want to share with us, we're happy to take a look at them. Tweet at us, call us, send us some information, and let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast for the upcoming weeks between now and the legislative session in 2023. We will share next week's news with you. But until then, please remember to do politics better. We have a special guest this week, Sky. It's Senator Kirk Devier. He's here with Governor Cooper to talk about the difference. <laughs> hey, Roy, how are you? <laughs> Let's do politics better. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>